see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Today, Rebecca Marquet, PMMI's Director of Custom Research, returns to the pod to discuss the findings from her latest project, the comprehensive collaboration with AmeriPen titled The 2023 Packaging Compass, Evaluating Trends in U.S. Packaging Design Over the Next Decade and Implications for the Future of a Circular Packaging System. In part one of this chat, Rebecca takes us through the most important findings from the report, with part two offering a perspective on how legislation down the road might impact OEMs and CPGs. Let's have a listen. So with all the fancy introductions out of the way, welcome back to the podcast, Rebecca Marquez. Hiya, Sean. How are you? I'm great. Last time you were on the pod, we kind of talked about um, this great study you guys were doing with AmeriPen that was going to kind of give us a compass, I like that word, um, to sort of navigate the next, you know, 10 years in terms of uh, sustainability. And we got sort of where you guys thought you were at that point. The research wasn't complete yet, um, but you had some some talking points and some ideas and I know the flexible packaging right now it is kind of the most dominant package type. And, and you guys touched on it a little bit then. In terms of sustainability, plastic doesn't have the best reputation. And it never really has. Um, some of it's unfair. Some of it's fair. But now that you guys have kind of wrapped up the research on this great study, is that something that that's going to have to change in terms of flexible packaging use? Are, are people going to have to use it less is there something that the MRFs are going to have to do to get prepared for it? I guess basically if you could just kind of give us, now that you're done the study and have come out of it, how is flexible packaging going to have to change or or are we going to be able to adapt to it? I don't think that it's really going to have to change. Um, we find that usage is strong and is going to continue to grow at least for the next 10 years or so. Um, and that's not all kinds of flexible packaging, most of them. I mean, we do see definite growth in um, flexible PCR content, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. So I don't know that it really has to change, but definitely MRFs do need to kind of innovate or um, do things a little differently so they can handle these materials effectively. Um, think of a MRF as just a giant sorting center where everything comes in in one stream and the machinery in the facility has to sort this all into separate bales. So what happens a lot of times is um, it's difficult for machinery to tell the difference between what is flexible packaging and what is maybe paper. They're both lightweight. 
Um, flexible packaging kind of gets stuck in machinery, which means that um, people that work at MRFs have to climb in there, clean it out. It's not very safe. It's not very efficient. Um, but I think that we can eventually get our heads wrapped around this um, and make it just a more effective um, um, way of sorting these materials. The other problem, though, in this is that the value of flexible materials when you sell it back into a market is not very high. So when you think of corrugate or aluminum and you think of the dollar figure that goes per ton for those materials, and I don't even want to quote because um, I'm, I, I would just, I don't want to misrepresent, but I can tell you that flexible materials in a bale is far, far less than the value of those other materials. So that's also something that we need to think about is what we're going to do with these um, at end of life when we have these. Finally, when we get our heads wrapped around the sorting, what are we going to do these with these materials when they're all in bales and ready to go into a market? But I wouldn't necessarily say we have to change usage. We just really have to figure out how to manage these at end of life in a better way. So is it safe to say that that's still the old, um, which has kind of been around for a while, where people would just prefer the easier route of buying virgin material than dealing with the the recycled material? In some cases, although when we talk to CPGs in the survey, CPGs are trying to get away from, I should say, heavy usage of virgin material. Um, but that introduces kind of another set of problems. If you want to get away from using virgin material and you want to rely more on post-consumer recycled material, it's got to have a level of purity. Um, particularly when it comes to contact with food. And so, um, you know, it's it's a conundrum. You want to get away as a business from using virgin material um, or so much of it, and you want to rely more on post-consumer uh, recycled material. But then, you know, in a lot of cases, PCR is not food safe. So that's... Um, that's a different, it's just a whole different issue. So that, yeah, that was other, some other questions I was going to ask around PCR. And since we're already kind of halfway there, I, you, you kind of explained why all packages can't really go that route, which makes sense in regards to food safety and things like that. Are the, is the machinery um, an issue when it comes to PCR? Is that something that they can handle it just like they could handle virgin material? Or is that something that also is a is another holdup? You know, we are working on um, a flexible packaging best practices um, report right now uh, for transitioning these materials. And I was a complete novice when we started doing that report. Um, but the the process of changing materials on packaging machinery is so involved. Um, it could mm -hmm. be that some um, of, you know, of our OEMs, you know, their equipment might not work um, as well on, on these types of materials. You know, sometimes CPGs are going to require a new type of machinery to work uh, with these materials. Sometimes it's just an adjustment. Um, it's a really involved process. Sometimes you do need a new piece of equipment. Um, and that's just how it is. Um, and there's several reasons why CPGs are transitioning these kinds of materials. Legislation is one of them. Um, changing le legislation might um, increase the need for PCR content in your packaging materials. You know, th there's that. Sometimes it's a supplier problem. 
Um, but at the end of the day, yes, sometimes machinery does have um, a hard time working with these materials. And we found in our survey too, when we talked to CPGs in the AmeriPen project, that more than 50% actually said that their equipment was part of the problem in them not being able to achieve their sustainability goals. So it looks like, according to the CPGs, there does need to be some innovation happening in the machinery space. Interesting. And just, I'm late to this, and I should have explained this up top, but for the seven people that have never listened to a sustainability podcast before, <laughs> MRFs, are the, MRFs are the materials recovery facilities that after we throw our stuff into the trash and it gets taken away allegedly in a single stream um, for recycling, it goes to these materials recovery facilities. And as Rebecca explained so well, people then separate them so that they can go to their different places. So we were just using the acronym with the hopes that everybody understands what MRFs are at some point so that we don't have to explain it every time. Sean, have you ever been to a MRF? I've never. Have you? Yes. Is it wild? It's wild. It's crazy. And I think that it's a little bit of a of a life-changing experience because as a person who has never was never at a MRF before, you have no idea of the volume mm. of stuff that comes into one of these facilities. And it's really interesting also because it, it is still a manual process for uh, for a lot of these MRFs. You do have people that are wow. sorting things. Um, but it's really interesting in that they're also, in some cases, adopting vision systems um, to pick out materials and sort them mechanically using robotic arms. It's, re it's really, really wild to see one of these things. And I would think that that has to be the, one of the – there's a series of next steps in this big sustainability you know, push and change. And I have to think the automation of you telling me that someone is picking through them at a facility um, just doesn't seem very 21st century to me. Um, and, I, and I have to think it's just because it was, they could not get away with it. It's not the proper term, but now that it's being ramped up a little bit more, I could see vision systems and sensors and automation being involved and making it a much smoother and easier process, which would then down the line make all of these conversations a lot easier to have. For sure. I think that innovation and automation is going to play a really important part in this space. I think that's that's growing right now. We're seeing it grow quite a bit. Um, and, you know, we all know that there's employee retention problems. I mean, um, you know, in every industry, it seems like people are changing jobs pretty frequently. There are certain jobs that people just don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And so it really does introduce more of an, an absolute need for automation. There, they still are manual uh, in some cases because we're not at the point yet where a machine can pick out a, a piece of like a, a flexible pouch mm -hmm. over some other kind of material. I mean, eventually we probably will get there and that will be amazing. Right now that we're not at that space yet. Yeah, I bet they could. I just think it's probably so not expensive. It's probably not cost effective or it's going to change the bottom line for the MRFs to to bring this stuff in initially. Um, long run, the ROI would probably be well worth it. But we know with automation, that is often not the thing they think of first. It's kind of the upfront cost. Yeah, it's going to be the cost is going to be a barrier of entry to some of these facilities. And I think you bring up a really important point that that some of us tend not to think about is that these MRFs are a business. Mm -hmm. They are not going to make decisions unless they can make money doing it because they are a business. 
Um, so I think in some cases, MRFs have, you know, the reputation for, you know, you know, saving the world and doing the right thing. And it's very altruistic. And but they and, and there is that. Mm-hmm. But they're also a business. And it's important yes. to remember that. Always. I guess on a, on a kind of sidestep, um, let's circle to a more um, earth-friendly type of package, let's call it, the, with compostable or compostable packaging. It's been around. Um, it's it's something that we've seen, but it, it and it makes headlines occasionally. Someone will come out with a compostable package. Um, is it a a viable sustainability option, do you think? Or do you think it's just something that'll kind of remain, I don't want to call it a niche material because that's not the proper term, but I can't think of a better one right now. Um, Just something that people will use occasionally um, for target audiences, or is it something that you think could really catch on? I personally think it is something that could really catch on. And that's something that our CPGs that we surveyed are really looking to adopt. Um, Compostability came in very high for what they want to pivot to over the next 10 years. Um, And I think it's really going to become more viable as as we go on. Not that it's not viable now. It is, but there are just some issues with it. One of the big issues with this is, again, contamination. So, you know, it's interesting. Colorado is one of our EPR states. It's one of the four states that recently adopted EPR laws. And they just came out making curbside recovery of compostable materials really strict. And one of the main drivers for that is that uh, it's contamination. So people don't necessarily always know what to put in the compost bin. Um, you know, they have to keep it separate from other things that are not compostable. And when you don't do that, you have contamination and that makes it really hard for composting facilities, uh, to sell to organic farmers. You, you can't do it in that case. It makes, it makes it, um, just unsellable. Mm -hmm. So there are some other things that we need to also get our heads wrapped around when it comes to compostability. But I do think that eventually it's going to be more widely available. That's, that's another issue with it. It's not widely available right now um, because we just don't have the infrastructure for it in the U.S. But I do think eventually we'll get there and it will be just another end of life solution for materials. Very cool. But with that being said, we um, we would this was great because this was a good a good conversation and you really know your stuff, Rebecca. So I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your day um, to come on here. And hopefully you'll have another report coming out that we can get you back on here and talk about with um, soon. Awesome. It was my pleasure. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.